Welcome to the latest edition of the MindGut Conversation. Today, I have the great pleasure of talking to visionary chef Dan Barber, who operates two famous restaurants in New York, the Blue Hill in Manhattan and the Blue Hill at Stone Barns in Pocantico, New York. Uh, Dan doesn't need much of an introduction, as there are a few chefs in the world who have reached such a celebrity status as him, not only as a chef, but as a pioneer and thought leader in how to create delicious, ethical, and sustainable produced dishes. Say a few words about uh, Dan's accomplishments. In 2009, he was named one of the world's most influential people in Time Magazine's annual Time 100. In 2014, he published a groundbreaking book, The Third Plate, Field Notes on the Future of Food, which was featured in the first season of Netflix Chef's Table in 2015. And he was appointed by President Obama to serve on the President's Council on Physical Fitness, Sports and Nutrition. Most recently, I had the honor of contributing an article to the Patagonia Provisions Journal in which Dan was also featured and wrote a piece. Welcome to the show, Dan. Thank you. Nice to be here. Um, so going through some of your writings and um, your internet presence, there seems to be something that you could characterize almost like your professional life has been one in the search of flavor, the ultimate flavor. Um, you, do you want to comment on that? Is that a correct characterization or? Yeah, I know. I think, yeah, I'm an evangelist for flavor because, um, well, because it's rooted in pleasure and, and, and hedonism and that's not a bad thing to be an evangelist for. Uh, but it's also a soothsayer because uh, true flavor, uh, which is tr something truly delicious, a carrot, um, let's say that, that has this jaw dropping carrot flavor, uh, has attached to it um, uh, uh, a process that um, is, I would argue, uh, both about environmental stewardship, um, equitable um, uh, nutrition, uh, nutrient density. Uh, it even has attached to it a kind of politics. Uh, and the reason I say that is because if, if a carrot is truly delicious and not, you know, coated, let's say, in sugar, uh, but but you take one bite of that carrot and you think you have tasted carrot times 100, uh, that's a carrot that uh, most definitely comes from uh, seed that is uh, uh, particularly geared towards uh, uh, the right kind of soil and the right kind of production to produce that flavor. So it has to start with fair seed. Uh, and and probably a seed that was selected with care and... and, and um, and, and consciousness over many, many years uh, or generations. And uh, that carrot was probably grown from a local farmer because if it was grown from a farmer that's, that, that is far away, uh, it wouldn't taste like that. Uh, so it probably got to you pretty soon after it was picked out of soil. And by the way, that soil that that carrot was grown in, and it was soil, it wasn't a hydroponic carrot because the taste, what I just described, you don't get that hydroponically. So you had to have soil that uh, was, was teeming with life, was, was nutrified and, and biologically diverse and loaded with fertility because that's where flavor comes from. 
Uh, and so that for sure was soil that was cared over. If it was soil that was cared over, it was probably grown from a farmer that's doing a lot of soil work on his or her farm, which means the ecological functioning of the farm is quite strong. Soil doesn't work in a vacuum. It only works where the entirety of the farm is at play. Uh, so you probably have, for example, good pollination and you have good bird life and you have the kinds of things that make uh, the environment uh, uh, robust and strong because that produces the kind of soil that produces the carrot we just are referring to. And I would say it has some equity attached to it because in all likelihood that carrot was not picked by machine, it was picked by hand. And it was picked by hand in a local environment, not on a, a massive monoculture because that wouldn't produce a carrot tasted good then that carrot probably has attached to it some fair wages because on a local independent uh, situation, regional situation, you have to pay that way to attract any kind of worker. Uh, so for the most part, it's not absolute, but for the most part, that was probably picked in a way that was equitable and fair and just. Uh, and the nutrient density of that carrot, well, that had to be off the roof because the, as you know, the flavonoids that, um, that you know, our, our part and parcel of that's flavor. You can't get that, that flavor without flavonoids. And so that was packed. That was a nutrient bomb that we just tasted. It had to be. No difference between nutrient density and, and, and deliciousness, zero. So, so and I say politics because, you know, that, that's a political carrot right there. That's a carrot that with all of those attendant issues attached to it becomes a, a, um, a prism, a light, uh, onto uh, decisions uh, that uh, determine how the world is used. So actually taste plays a very big role uh, in how the world is used and how we might think about the future of food. Yeah, this is really was a remarkable answer, which pretty much answered most of the, the questions that I had written down for you. So let me just add one uh, comment that is coming from, from the health field and from, from the med uh, medical field. I've gotten really fascinated about the, as you know, about the gut microbiome and the role it plays in, in our human health. Um, but that has also led me into looking more and more you know, what do we feed these microbes and what does the food that we feed them, how does that influence them? And then how does the way that we grow this food influence what the microbes do? And one, so you mentioned flavonoids as one example of, of polyphenols. I mean, this seems to be like the magic communication molecule that connects everything from the soil microbes to the root system of the plant, to the health of the plant, and then to our own health because these yeah. Flavonoids yes. obviously are yes. gobbled up by our own microbes. Yeah. So, do you, does that ever enter your equation? Uh, so you said a lot of positive things about you know the pursuing the the the, the ultimate flavor. Um, does human health and gut health does that play a role for you in your decision well, making? Well, in the in the answer I just said, and I'm glad you pointed out, I wasn't, I didn't include it, um, and it's probably. Um, you know, in, in my mind, and it sounds like in yours, uh, maybe the most important element of this, which is what does the food culture do with that carrot after it gets to your kitchen or your, your, your doorstep? And the exciting and um, to me, uh, brilliant possibility with that carrot is to make it actually more delicious and more nutritious through craft, through culinary application. Uh, and as you know, uh, that's what cultures and cuisines have figured out for thousands of years, um, whether to 
preserve that carrot for the winter and make you know give us nutrition and 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 deliciousness for the 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 colder months or simply to have that carrot go long a longer way for our nutrition and sustenance that is negotiations that cultures and cuisines have figured out for a very long time and have done a brilliant job applying microbial activity uh, to do just that. What I'm interested in is what you just touched on there is, is, is you know, if we know that these processes are, are critical for uh, our nutrition and for our pleasure, a fermented carrot or a pickled carrot is one of the more delicious things imaginable. What is the correspondence between the carrot grown in the right soil teeming with microbial life and how that ferment activity takes place in our kitchen. This is what we're studying. Can and, and we have made great strides actually on that right before COVID as we were working with uh, Ben Wolf at Tufts University who is looking at just this idea as how do we um, uh, taste, experience, uh, and, and what is the fermentation activity from a carrot grown in uh, a conventional setting, grown in an organic setting, and then grown in a setting where um, you know, it's beyond organic where, where the rotation, soil health, fertility is concentrated on such a way that you get that jaw-dropping flavor. And, and it turns out that the soil microbial activity that comes into our kitchen is key for the quality of fermentation. Uh, and by the way, the quality of flavor. Um, so this is an exciting connection that uh, has been relatively unexplored and I'm really excited to look into it as we move on into the future. Yeah, I mean, this whole, um, you know, I mean, there's always been kind of a um, uh, folk wisdom that, you know, organic is better, but now, you know, we're into this uh, regenerative organic um, agriculture is sort of the ultimate way of not just, you know, maximizing the health of the plant, but also the the, the the planet and and uh, and the yes and and, and our and ourselves it's one big subject which is what you're saying these are not separate subjects and yeah, why I enough, yeah. and why I believe in the evangelism of flavor is because that actually is the connector um, and it's a nice one for a food culture especially a millennial food culture that is emerging that is driven for pleasure because it turns out to be a lot more contagious than yeah. a food culture that's being dictated from people like you and me. Yeah. yeah. Now, people from all over the world come to your uh, restaurants. Unfortunately, I planned it before the COVID pandemic. Oh, sorry. And, but never made. <laughs> we'll have to wait a few more months, hopefully. Um, do you see yourself as a game changer? Are these people that come to you, are they already convinced of what we're talking about? or? Do you think you actually change minds? And I, I, I mean, I think most people who come to the restaurant come for the for the pleasure principle. I mean, that's why we go out to eat the community of eating and the, the pleasure of eating good food. I, I, a lot of these issues are on the unconscious, or 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 or, and that's okay. I mean, I I, I sort of believe that if you just become educated about how food tastes, you go a long way and take pleasure in it and do some cooking at home, by the way, because if you're, if you're cooking yourself, you're, you're doing something that is leaps and bounds ahead of allowing other people to cook for you because generally it's less good and, um, and, and 
know, less beneficial to the environment. So cooking is a big one, conscious is a big one, but it's really pleasure. I, I, I believe that the movement around good food and the reason that it's continued to grow uh, is because it's, 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 it's rooted in hedonism. And that is something you can bemoan all you want about the American food culture and our lack of appreciation for, for good food. But one thing that we have uh, more than anyone else is a, is a culture that is greedy for pleasure and willing to go out of their way for it, willing to spend a little bit more money. And that's where I think this movement will continue to get legs. Yeah, no, hopefully well. So, I mean, one obstacle obviously is um, the massive power of the agricultural industrial complex yeah. that, that has been pushing things onto us. And, and again, an example of interconnectedness, you know, the, the medical and the pharmaceutical industrial complex yeah, are benefiting, are benefit, are benefiting yeah. from this process. Well, you got to fix that. You got to bring that to light. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is the reason that I'm now, you know, at, at this stage of my career, I'm more interested in writing these books and giving talks to, to audiences that can actually influence this and change it rather than, you know, just talking to a few scientists who, who, uh, who sort of, uh, you know, are, 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 are in the same wavelength. So, yeah, this is, this is exactly the reason that I'm doing what I'm doing. And uh, I, I, I've, I've been amazed since my last book how much that has gone in that direction. So, yeah. but, but do you think that... Um, Given the way this our society is set up, do you, I mean, do you think there's a chance for somebody like you and a, a few other like-minded people, like uh, uh, you know, Yvonne Junard, who's obviously playing a big role in this um, in this um, shifting of consciousness around the environment and, and 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 around food? Do you think there's a realistic chance that this will actually happen in a in a large scale, or do you think this is always going to be something? you know, that the elites on the East and West Coasts uh, love, but, but nobody I else. I do, because, because 12 weeks ago, that was where this country was headed into uh, a food future where people were turning their backs on processed food. Uh, people were ignoring food without a story. Organic was continuing to grow at 10% unbelievably over these many, many, many years. Uh, and food was taking a kind of prominence and precedence uh, that had we'd never seen in a generation. Uh, the unfortunate, uh, really unfortunate part of COVID among all the unfortunates is that uh, that's, that's put a stop to that uh, energy. And, and as you know, processed food has um, taken over in a way that is really extraordinary. Um, $15 billion has been spent in processed food between March and May. Uh, that's about a 45% increase from last year. And that's people in their homes uh, turning to processed food for comfort, for convenience. Uh, and what scares me is that the gains that have been made in this last 10 to 20 years that have been so profound, uh, are, we're going to lose ground. And um, I would like to go back to 12 weeks ago when the winds were at the back of a food culture that was appreciating food from, from, from the right kind of farming. Uh, and and appreciating a food culture that uh, valued taste, and I, I was you know high on that um, right before COVID. In this moment, I'm a little bit down, but but we'll get there. Uh, you know, one way to get there, by the way, and you would know this is better than anyone, is that the story of COVID is really about about nutrition in the end. I mean, it, you know, with the, you look at the underlying conditions that are 90 plus percent of these COVID cases, and it's obesity, diabetes. Uh, and some type of heart-related 
disease that is diet related. Um, so diet and and disease and prevention are again one and the same subject and that you can say that but when you come out of a time uh, with America where 110,000 people have been lost to this disease and you can think that there is a natural vaccine that isn't foolproof but is is very strong and that's not available to a lot of Americans and a lot of Americans aren't conscious about what a cheap food system really gives you uh, I think some profound changes will come out of this I'm hoping for that yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, this this sort of connection, and you know, it's something I actually deal wrote a chapter about this in my uh, in my book I'm working on about this link, you know, of COVID with um, with with our chronic diseases, which yeah. are mostly related to to, to bad yeah, to bad diet. Yeah. One one last question. I mean, hopefully we'll have a chance at some future point to do this face to face. But uh, one one last question of the many dishes that you've made. Is there one that you would consider your favorite dish? Ah, uh, that's like picking your children. I can't. <laughs> I can't, can't do no, it. I, no, I don't have a favorite dish. I have a. We don't even have a menu. We serve. You know, we we, we serve dishes to tables. You know, and we riff on things that are coming in off the farm all day. I'm more and more convinced that the 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 microbial activity um, that we apply to food is the future of really good and delicious and nutritious. Uh, food and again the equi the equitableness of that uh, is more apparent to me than ever. So that's what I'm going to dig into as we circle out of this. Okay, great. Well, thank thanks you very much. Pleasure really? talking to you. I look forward to meeting you. Okay, same here. Take care. Thank bye, you, Dr. Bye, bye bye. bye. bye.